You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Fosse Verdon from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Aaron Albano. And I'm Mo Brady. And all that jazz, I'm gonna rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. Welcome, listeners, to our miniseries, recapping episodes of FX's Emmy Award-winning limited series, Fosse Verdon. In the show, we see an inside look into two characters as they grapple with the concept of power, the meaning of love, and the value of entertainment and art. We're going back episode by episode to see how this love letter to vintage Broadway tells us greater truths about the industry. So let's dive in and talk about episode six, All I Care About is Love. Aaron, give us the stats. All I Care About is Love premiered on May 14th, 2019. It was written by Ike Holter and directed by Minky Spiro. In this episode, we step into the rehearsal room of the original production of Chicago and are treated to a recreation of the famed All That Jazz. This iconic number, originally choreographed by Bob Fosse, was reconstructed by Valerie Pettiford. Performing in the cast of Chicago are Bianca Marroquin as Cheetah Rivera as Velma, Tony nominee Robin Herter. Feels good to say, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Along with Bahia Hiba, Fred Odgard, Michael Williams, Alex Wong, J.C. Schuster, Morgan Marcel, and Heather Lang. Only two featured songs appear in this episode, both of which are from Candor and Ebb's Chicago. The previously mentioned All That Jazz, sung by Bianca Marroquin, and the titular song All I Care About Is Love, theoretically sung by Jerry Orbach, at least according to the subtitles. It sure doesn't sound like him, though. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. In the in, in the subtitles, it labels it Orbach, but I was like, this doesn't sound like Jerry Orbach at all. Oh, so it'd have to be a different Orbach. I do not know any other people with the name Orbach. Same. The total viewership hits its all-time run-of-show low this week, clocking in at 806,000 viewers, down 72,000 from the previous episode with DVR viewers also dipping down to 442,000. However, live viewers went up from last week to 364,000. And what happens in this episode, Mo? Bob is on the knife's edge with editing the Lenny Bruce biopic six months behind schedule and rehearsals for Chicago scheduled to start in just three days. But his diet of dexedrine, cigarettes, and stress is giving him coughing fits and rehearsal that send him to the emergency room arriving just in time for doctors to observe his first heart attack. Forced to come face to face with the ticking time bomb inside his ribcage, Bob thinks back to the beginning of his career, when he proved himself to board patrons in sleazy nightclubs and a father who looked down on him but wouldn't let him quit dancing. That need for the audience's validation and push to prove himself follows Bob to this day, but that inner drive may also be the thing that kills him. Oof. Spoiler alert! It does. Mm. The heart attack sidelines Bob's work on Chicago by postponing the project for at least four months. But Gwen has contractual approval over the director, and she won't approve of anyone but Bob. The new plan is to start back up in the new year and open in New York in June. Gwen works to orchestrate his recovery, from getting the entire company of Chicago to sign a Get Well card, to making up their daughter to look like an adult so she can visit Bob in the hospital. After spending six minutes technically deceased, Bob wakes up from surgery on the slow road to recovery. But it isn't until he knows he can have sex does he feel sure that he is fully himself again. So he convinces Anne to have sex with him in his hospital bed. But the incident gives them both the holy trinity of shame, pleasure, and confusion. 
something Bob is intimately familiar with and has been since his teenage years. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, I will say before we start, this is the this is the episode that I am stressed to talk about. There wasn't a ton of stuff that happened in this episode. I mean, even episode five, which was all in one place, essentially, there was very little to describe in terms of nouns. A lot of it was just feelings, I thought. What did you think? I think you, I think I agree. There's a lot of adjectives in this episode rather than nouns. And, and perhaps... They are the holy trinity of shame, pleasure, and confusion. This episode is dark as fuck, man. Sure. This episode was so dark. I mean, before we get into it, can we shout out Brandon Uranowitz as Dustin Hoffman as Lenny Bruce in the editing bay? Love that. I love I love seeing like seeing like Ethan Slater mm-hmm. and Brandon Uranowitz. Like that's the only place we see them, right? Oh, it's yeah. Like on Never a screen again. on a screen. Literally. It's so interesting that they chose to dramatize those moments rather than using just the actual footage. Because I mean, they could oh, have just pulled true. two ladies from the movie. They could have just pulled Dustin Hoffman. That's probably maybe like, it's easier well, to get the rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's probably like rights and legal stuff attached there. But on that train. We're sort of introduced to a new convention in this episode. Bob slipping in and out of doing stand-up a la Lenny Bruce. Right. Black and white like yeah. Lenny. Almost telling us what we should be feeling at, instead of... I feel like the language up to this point was a lot of flashbacks. No audio flashbacks where we just kind of have to like interpret it ourselves. 
Right. Where this is straight up Bob telling us everything, telling us about his life, telling us what he's thinking, la, 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 la. How did you feel about that shift? It made me uncomfortable, but also I think that's the point. Why did it make you uncomfortable? It's so bare. <laughs> like, Interesting. It's, okay. a, it's a bitter pill to swallow when he just stands there and says the dismal and dark experiences he's had and how they... Mm, interesting. I think what we associate Bob Fosse with is like a dark and bitter truth coated in delicious candy that makes it go down well. Yeah. Right? That's that's Cabaret. That's Pippin. Yeah. That's Chicago, right? But uh-huh. this is more in line with Lenny, which there's none, none of, of that. None of that, It's yeah. just the bitter truth. And you're like, ugh. That tastes gross, and I would (laughs) rather do something else than watch Bob convince his wife to have sex with him in the hospital bed, which he obviously doesn't want to do. I mean, we will get there. Much to my chagrin, we will get there. (laughs) Um, The tapping's back. Tapping's back. The tapping's back. Why does he write like he's running out of time? Maybe it's because it's coupled with the stand-up that I feel like the meaning of the tapping has changed. Or at least maybe some of the nuances of the tapping have become more layered. I still have not sure what the tapping means in the first place, if I'm being completely honest. Sure. If it's the fear of death coming, you know, upon you, Mm -hmm. if it is the fear of not living up to your potential legacy... Mm-hmm. then it feels spot on, right? Bob has sort of taken this shift. He doesn't want to do cheesy bullshit musical comedies anymore. He's yeah. now feeling the pressure to be truly saying something without all of the razzle-dazzle. Mm-hmm. And he feels the pressure to get that right. It is pressure, yeah, but it's just the pressure he's feeling now versus the pressure he felt on Cabaret. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, it's, and even the pressure from when he was a child, because we definitely get more... Up to this point, we've been getting flashes of his childhood. Now we see it like almost complete and he's narrating it from his comedy club. Mm-hmm. When you strip that like artistic license away and you just see the situations that he was in just bare bones, it is a lot. <laughs> he grew up in show business. He had this young career in Hollywood yeah. through a 2020 lens or through a 2019 lens there are parts of that that sound really glamorous you know he's dancing professionally when he was 13 wow that's Mm -hmm. cool yeah who are you jacob and david guzman but (laughs) like the reality of that or at least the reality that the show we get to now peer into yeah yes is that that's not glamorous at all in fact, it's rather damaging. So with Bob literally on his deathbed, you know, there were, there were minutes there in which a machine was breathing for him. Yeah, that's fair. We are t- seeing Gwen continue to puppeteer. And she is absolutely the puppeteer. Well, she's absolutely the puppeteer of Chicago, right? She, yes. Her contract gives her approval over every aspect from the lyrics to the sets to the casting to the poster design. She is driving the train. She is the conductor. And yet somehow in her mind, she also gives power over to Bob, right? She says, it's not my show. It's our show. Mm. She's not going to move forward even when Bob's heart attack has the potential to make the show worse. Well, I think that's what's also interesting Like we were talking about in the last episode, how this shift has almost happened with Bob's mortality. Gwen, I feel like, is now no longer just puppeteering the person of Bob. Gwen is now puppeteering the legacy of Bob. And arguably, this is where 
the reverence that we all have for the Fosse style, the Fosse catalog, everything about and associated with him is because of Gwen. I mean, we had been talking about it like that before and wondering if it was just an accident. But now it almost in this episode feels like it's completely on purpose. Like she did this intentionally. It, like what struck me the most is the way she is in the rehearsal room. She's talking to all the dancers and all the new dancers are there like for a first rehearsal. And she's like, make sure you have your aspirin every day. This is going to be hard. You're going to be sore. La 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 la. But then at the end, she also says, but you will never be better. And this is with Bob in the room standing right next to her. And that's when I was just like, she's laying the groundwork for how people talk about Fosse. Sure. And that way of talking about Fosse is, at least for me, who's taken Fosse dance classes, who mm-hmm. has seen Fosse, who has been exposed to the way that the Verdon Fosse legacy is translated now. Yeah. That feels like a speech I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And yet what you're saying is that this is the first time that that speech that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Again, just being in, like when I was in at Broadway Theater Project, the way his progeny have taken responsibility of carrying that legacy. I would argue that there's no style in musical theater history that's more scrutinized than the Fosse style. That reverence for a man's work starts somewhere, and this show makes it look like it started with Gwen. Interesting. And Gwen did it on purpose. Well, in part to define her own legacy, right? Yeah. Like, if she bolsters Fosse's legacy, then she's also bolstering her own as mm-hmm. Lola, as Roxy, as sure. Charity. But I think that's but I think that's also where we see the shift of she's no longer wanting to be the king or the queen. She's fine with being the kingmaker. Yes, does she have benefit to it? Of course. Like she gets to play Roxy. She gets to do, but like Even her gratitude in the last episode, like, Bob gave this to me. Mm -hmm. If we want to really get down to brass tacks, did he really give it to her? Maybe not. She earned every single one of those roles. Some of those roles she even had before he even came on the project. Right. But she is actively choosing to credit this man with her success. Which is then so interesting because it worked so well that we think of Fosse as more famous or more influential than we do a Verdon. Yeah. What I'm struck by in this episode is how many things Gwen is puppeteering, <laughs> right? <laughs> she's puppeteering Bob. She's puppeteering Bob's legacy. She's puppeteering the doctor. Oh my gosh, that scene was amazing. <laughs> With house seats. She's puppeteering Anne. Uh-huh. She's puppeteering the company of Chicago. Yeah. She's running the whole show. She rules She rules New York City. And yet point. she doesn't own that power. Like this is a woman who could, theoretically, if she's running all of this, she could have been like, now nah, I'm going to take Chicago. Hal Prince, we're doing it. Yeah. Right? Like uh-huh. she's proven herself so capable and yet not interested in focusing those energies into her own legacy. Well, I think we've talked about this before, where like, she is a woman almost ahead of her time, because someone with that kind of agency would be president of the world at this point. This is 19 the 1970s. She doesn't have that possibility. 
So she is running the city in the best way she can without running the city because culture norms will not allow her. But she's doing she's doing it anyway, just not in the most direct way that our eyes in 2020 would want to see her do it. And what's I think as we're seeing Gwen puppet so well, Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking to see, at least in this interpretation, Anne puppeteering Mm. so poorly. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like on I mean, on one hand, like the power struggle now is at least in this episode is between Gwen and Anne and Anne is not. She does not have the prowess yet. (laughs) Which is so interesting because the whole setup of episode four was that Anne was the only girl in the chorus who wouldn't go to Bob's hotel room, right? Like the whole reason that she has gained the position of being the wife is because she wouldn't fall for Bob's games. Yeah. You can imagine that great conversation between Joan McCracken and Gwen Verdon in the powder room. Yeah. Right. Where Joan basically gives her life over to Gwen. You can imagine that exact same conversation happening with Gwen playing Joan and Anne playing Gwen. I don't know. Should we get into that now? It's it's a lot. It's so much because we've been talking about how this artistic life takes a toll on the artists that lead it. And we're watching now that that is not reserved for Bob and Gwen. We're now seeing Anne feel the repercussions of this role that she's taken on as well. Like she's absolutely, this cycle continues. Joan was a strong woman that Bob was attracted to, married her. Gwen then became the strong woman that Bob was attracted to. And then... Anne became the strong woman that Bob was attracted to. And all three of these women have been beguiled by Bob and lost their agencies in some way. Like, like arguably, we're watching Gwen gain those things back because her star is too bright to be eclipsed. But when Anne is in the lobby after the deed, <laughs> and, <laughs> like, and she's just sitting there, And the very nice stranger walks up and is like, hey, we have an extra sandwich. Would you like it? You need to keep up your strength for and then questions her on who she's there for. And she says, my husband and my heart broke. And then she just starts bawling. I'm like, here we are again. And what's interesting about this episode is that Phantom Bob, Dream Bob, Fantasy Bob, stand-up comedian Bob, like, spells it out for us. Oh, yeah. When he says, being scared, turned on, confused, guilty, self-loathing, and then lust screws up your relationships for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then we watched it happen. And it all began. Dream Bob gives the credit of that to him being raped as a child. By these prostitutes. And yes, like gender things aside, this was a rape. And what sucks about it is just in the previous episode, we watch him get lauded for it by his friends in the house. Oh, yeah. Like Patty tells the story as it's something to be super proud of. And Bob like laughs it off, pretending to be like fake proud of it. And then we watch in in this episode that it's like it screwed him up. And it's fascinating how, because also what, like, when reflecting on that, Bob, as a teenager, was raped by these prostitutes. Gwen, as a teenager, 
was raped by the wonderful Santino Fontana. There's so much in this cycle that like just continues when it's not addressed and when it's not dealt with and when it's not processed. I mean, you said it was a downer of an episode, Aaron, and you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, I think. To keep up to date with next week's recap, be sure to watch episode seven of Fosse Verdon Nowadays. You can find that on Hulu. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. And by me, Aaron Albano. There are two great ways you can be helping The Ensemblist right now. One is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And the second is by becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash The Ensemblist. Please follow The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. You can also follow us on Instagram. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.